everyone, Ed Arango here from Ed's Auto Garage, wanting to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Arango Insurance Services. Arango Insurance Services is a full service insurance agency. Um, we do home, auto, commercial, and any specialty. We specialize in the automotive space. So if you are a restoration shop, an OEM shop, a componentry manufacturer, we're able to insure you it's a great time right now to have your policy reviewed, see if we can um, save you money, make sure you are properly insured, and at least evaluate your policy. See if you're in the right spot. So give us a, a shout out at Arango Insurance Services. You can reach us at our website, www.arangoins.com, or give us a call at 949 887 one two seven four enjoy the podcast we'll talk to you later Hey, everybody. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. But before we get going, uh, let me tell you guys about an event coming up this June. It is the Friends of Steve McQueen Car and Motorcycle Show, June the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Get ready, motorsports enthusiasts. Registration is now open for the 2022 Friends of Steve McQueen Car and Motorcycle Show. The 15th annual event will return to the Boys Republic in Chino Hills, California on the first weekend in June to benefit the private nonprofit school and treatment center for troubled teenagers. This year's theme, On Any Sunday, marks the 50th anniversary of the cult classic motorcycle documentary. It was produced by Steve McQueen and features the actor, other well-known racers, and regular adventure-seeking folks join, joining in the early 1970s explosion of various types of off-road motorcycle racing. In that spirit, the Friends of Steve McQueen Car and Motorcycle Show offers something for everyone and is a car show like no other. The popularity of the Friends of Steve McQueen car show was evident by last year's success with approximately 450 cars and motorcycles exhibited to more than 10,000 attendees. Most importantly, the 2021 show grossed $811,000 for the Boys Republic's apprenticeship program, which provides disadvantaged program graduates with paid jobs and training experience. To receive updates for the 2022 show and to register online for June 3rd through the 5th events, all held at the Boys Republic's 200-acre campus in Chino Hills, please visit Steve McQueen Carshow.com. Let's all do our part to help the school, and we'll see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ed's Auto Garage. Again, this is Ed Arango coming to you from my garage here in Huntington Beach, California. Um, we are in the month of February 2022, and it is unseasonably hot here today. It must be, it must be at least in Huntington, it must be between 85 and 90 degrees. And uh, you know, typically I don't have the door over here open, but I have to have it open or else I'm gonna die in here. But uh, but anyway. Uh, again, thanks everybody for uh, for hopping on. Um, today we have a special show. Um, we are going to kind of learn a little bit about um, an event that comes on in June, which is the Friends of Steve McQueen uh, Car and Motorcycle Show. In fact, uh, I will show you guys. I have on the shirt from last year or this last uh, show which was the, the 2021 show. And um, um, so we are going to be kind of covering that. My guest today is Chris Burns. He is the executive director of the, of the facility, which is called the Boys Republic. And what we wanna do today is kind of learn a little bit about the Boys Republic, what it is, 
Uh, those of you that are here in, in uh, Southern California, really, really by now uh, across the country, you've kind of heard of the Boys Republic. It's located in Chino. Um, I guess it's called Chino Hills, the area there. Um, and um, huge campus. And uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Chris to the show and we'll have Chris kind of give us a little bit of, of intro about himself. Hi, Chris, thanks for hopping on. Absolutely, thank you, Ed, I appreciate the invitation. Thank so, you. So, so okay, Chris, why don't, yeah, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on yourself okay. um, and how you came to, how you came to land at Boys Republic. Okay, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic. I actually grew up in old Chino Hills before it was a city. So it was considered part of Chino. So I knew about Boys Republic even then because it's existed in Chino Hills since 1909, believe it or not. Um, I am a licensed psychologist by trade. And when I was in the midst of, of finishing that education, I'd gotten my master's and came to work at Boys Republic um, while I was in the midst of doing a variety of other practicum and training sites at hospitals and clinics and community mental health centers. And, and I spent two years in working in the residential living units that the boys that are present at Boys Republic um, live in. And it changed me. It, I found, I, I came home during that time frame, stressed my wife out because I kept telling her, you know, these, these training opportunities I have, I'm, I'm not really enjoying, but I love what I'm doing at work. And, and it just morphed where I had to leave to do a doctoral internship somewhere else, but came back because, you know, I've said this simply for people in other things, in all the environments I ever trained in or worked in nobody was making more change than the students were at this facility. And it just, you know, it became addictive to me. I liked seeing what they were doing with their lives. It, it made what I was doing meaningful. And so here I am 29 years later and, and still going at it. Wow. So when you first uh, arrived at the school, it was just kind of, um, for all intents and purposes, just a job you picked up, uh, uh, right that you landed and then um um uh, and then you basically you you became and and you know attached to what the the purpose of the school was and what the school was providing to to the kids at that time was it only boys or were there girls there because i know there's girls there now Right. So the the organization as it exists on that main campus in Chino Hills, it's all boys. Uh, however, we have a girls facility in Monrovia. Um, we have another boys facility in the Silver Lake area of L.A. and another one in Pomona. None of those. Those are all small homes in communities. Doesn't look like uh, the mothership out here with 200 acres out in Chino right. Hills. So, yeah, much smaller footprints. But no, it's actually a great story how Girls Republic came to be. So our founder, her name is Margaret Fowler, um, her stepdaughter started a ladies auxiliary organization supporting Boys Republic back in 1911. Um, they are still in existence to this day. They run a thrift shop for us in the Altadena area. Um, and back around um, 19, mid 1980s, uh, one of the, the lady members of that auxiliary passed away, left us her home, uh, but in the, uh, in the gift, there was basically, I'm, I'm, you know, giving my home to Boys Republic, but on the provision that they open up a girls facility. So oh, that, wow. was, that was the birth of Girls Republic, and we've had that program for over 30 years now. So, so like you said, the schools basically started what in 1907 is that what 1907 what yes so when the school started in 1907 08 09 that era um were were these boys coming to to the school or the property because they were orphaned at that time or didn't have any what how did they why did they end up there it's a combination of factors but really the reason why Boys Republic came into existence, the presiding juvenile court judge in LA County at that time, his name was Judge Curtis Wilbur, um, wasn't 
satisfied with the way the, the court system treated minors at that time. They basically didn't have uh, much in the way of programming and they many times misbehavior was treated more like it like they were an adult. So he asked the philanthropic community in LA and Pasadena to, to go out and, and make suggestions on what could be. So our so this founder would be an alternative. So right. this would be an alternative to like juvenile hall or whatever. Right. It's and and even, even more just like jail um, that, um, that they, had. they just didn't have many facilities. Our founder made a trip back east, uh, found a model um, that they liked, brought it out, started it in the San Fernando Valley in 07. And uh, what they couldn't do at that time, the property wasn't suited for their big vision. And that's why they covered wagoned it out here to Chino Hills. Um, they wanted a property where they could be self-sustaining. They wanted to sort of replicate a farm family lifestyle. They felt like uh, the boys and girls that that were orphans or were, were having trouble just sort of becoming successful young adults in society would could learn from behaving like farm families do with all that responsibility and, and accountability and grow into folks that would be successful. And, and they chose this because of the land. We actually have our own water wells, which made it easy to, to irrigate the property and grow crops and we're actually the first uh, uh, dairy farm in the Chino Valley that got noted, you know, for dairy farms for so long. Um, now we no longer have the, the dairy farm. We've just got a beef cattle farm, but we've maintained all of that history because the work ethic associated with that is still very much a part of who we are. Our, our motto is nothing without labor. We fundamentally believe that, that a, a huge part of how we turn young men and women um, in a positive direction is teaching them to be employable and having um, a productive work ethic that'll benefit them both personally and professionally. Well, I mean, I grew up in the 60s um, in Pomona, close to Chino, down by the Gary in 71 in that yeah. area. Oh, yeah. um, and so I, I know that area from that era pretty well. And, he, and back then it was pretty, it was pretty sparse. I mean, there was a lot of Portuguese uh, dairy farms all over the place. Um, and, um, and I can only imagine that in that time of 1907, 1908, I mean, they were kind of in the boonies. Oh, absolutely. Completely by themselves. Um, they, <laughs> They had to, to had to grow it or raise it in order yeah. to self-sustain, and because there there was nothing. Even when I I you know uh, grew up out here, you know in in '69 forward, and and there was almost nothing. There were two yeah. home tracks in Chino Hills, one high school, and and you know one main road that flooded all the time in between the farms and all that. And it's grown like crazy since, but. Boys Republic, it's funny, the city, the city council and, and mayors that have rotated through have referred to this at times. I like the way they refer to it as, as sort of the central park of Chino Hills because everything's grown up around it. And as much as the developers would like to see this land change, the, the city leadership actually really enjoys it being what it is. So you have good support from city council and the city itself in, in maintaining that that history of what the school is there in Chino Hills. Now they've been they've been phenomenal. We actually have a retired city council member and a retired city manager from Chino Hills on our board of directors. Um, really good relationships with the current ones. They they generally attend the car show and the car show dinner. And uh, there's actually a, a a local Rotary group that uses our our culinary center and bistro, and that has a couple of council members in it as well. So. We're fortunate. Uh, not every organization that does the work we do is is enjoyed or valued by the community they reside in. Because you know, reality is we work with kids that have made mistakes, and and they continue to make them at times while we're going through the treatment program. So it's great to have a supportive you know city partner that recognizes that and realizes that you know uh, you know you got to crack a few eggs to make the omelet, so to speak. Yeah. 
So back in its in its in its uh, infancy, its starting time, um, the school was taking some of these wayward boys and and like you say, kind of kind of showing them a trade or or, or, or making them feel of worth and have responsibilities that they've probably never had and they probably you know you know enjoyed having that. Um, what were some of the back in the back in the the starting days? What were some of the occupations or trades that were were being uh, taught to them then? Versus maybe what were some of the the what are some of the traits that are being taught today? Right. So in the early days, especially since we weren't you know shopping at the market or shopping at Cisco, everybody pretty much had a hand in the, the fields or the animals to some degree. Um, uh, my, my predecessor has told me of, of the stories of, in those early days, um, when the, the cottages were built for the kids to live in, uh, Boys Republic had its own money, had its own little chits that they gave out. And, and the students uh, that were there at that time, they had to go and work productively that day to be able to pay for their room in the living unit Otherwise, they were given a tent. And I said, wow, how times have changed. Uh, the state <laughs> would never let us get away with that now. Uh, but, but literally, you know, it, it sort of reinforced that basic premise of, of we're going to teach you how to be successful in the world and how to put a roof over your head. And I, I think um, metaphorically, I still love that that happened because it, it put real responsibility on them to, to take ownership. And so we try and, and replicate that um, besides the either working with the animals or, um, or, or working in sort of the crops. Um, in the early days, they, they, we've got a print shop that has um, old print presses that go back to that day and age. And we've got some wow. of that equipment down there. And they published, um, you know, the school newspaper and the annuals. And, and so there were jobs um, involved in that as well. Uh, there was um, metal works a little bit different than we have now, um, but basically a lot of things just around subsistence in, the, in those day and age. Now, most of what we do um, from, a, from a trades perspective is really designed towards employability. So mm -hmm. we, we still have kids that will get paid for helping on the farm, but we recognize we're not turning out that many farmers um, so, so we, we don't do as much there, but the big industry kinds of prep that we do, we've got a masonry ROP program. So we've got a lot of kids get into the trades, into the construction trades, into media apprenticeships by doing that. We have an auto tech uh, program um, that, that coincides really nicely with the car show because the kids get incredibly excited about cars when we've got you know, the caliber of those vehicles on the property. And, and some are just naturally uh, very mechanical and they do well there. Uh, the big uh, sort of vocational offering that we've moved into in the last decade has been culinary. So we, we opened a teaching bakery six or seven years ago um, and that really took off. We were a little surprised how much the kids enjoyed it. I don't know why. What teenage kid doesn't enjoy food? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's, it's gone really well. They, they have had, they went from producing what we needed here and then doing some things in the local community to actually having contracts with casinos and Vons Pavilions to provide a variety of products for them. So that became success, successful to the point that we um, raised money through the show and in other avenues to, to build an entire culinary training center. So now we've actually got the chef side as well as the bakery side and a bistro where they can do events. In fact, I just left a luncheon today where, where we had um, LA County public defenders and district attorneys out just to raise their awareness of, of a facility that, that their kids go to. Uh, so it, it, those things have been very good. I mean, we also still have a print shop, although it's more digital now. Um, we have a welding training program and a landscaping ROP. So we, we try and have a variety so that, so that kids, when they come in, they get to have some choice 
uh, in terms of where they actually have interest and, and a desire to learn more rather than us saying, okay, everybody's going to become a farmer. Yeah. Chris, what, what's the age range of the, of the students that come? So generally speaking, kids are referred to us when they're 13 to 17, pretty much high school age. That's in all the facilities. Um, they, can, uh, they can turn 18 while they're with us. And then we have uh, aftercare programs, which take care of the kids in the community when they leave. We continue with, with the counseling and with kind of social work level support just to help the families with the transitions, help them take the skills we provided and get them into the, the employment world. We also on the, the south end of the property have a transitional housing program. So maybe 10 to 15% of all the kids we work with will have almost no transition, uh, sort of a positive transition environment. So they came, the whole family situation was already blown up, or maybe they're coming out of a neighborhood that if they go back, it's gonna be dangerous for them to go back to. So, um, our board has done a good job historically of, of supporting and raising money privately to do things that the system wasn't doing yet. So about 20 years ago, we opened that program, um, recognizing that you know kids would turn 18, they would finish, they, they would complete a program, but too often could end up homeless because the, the home situation wasn't viable. So we've got 16, uh, room for 16 um, young men down there. We have a, a single apartment like that at our Girls Republic facility where when they leave, they're done with the system, but they need a place to get launched from. So uh, they'll be there as long as they're productive. So if they're working, going to community college, in a VOC training program, um, they can stay there. They pay rent um, while they're down there at a, at a specific percentage of what they're, whatever they're making, um, that rent's all saved. It's not really that we're taking anything from them, but we want them to practice real life. Yeah. Um, that if you're making money, you don't get to just blow it all. You actually have to put it aside. Um, and all that money's theirs when they leave. And in the last year and a half, two years, uh, we've got a, a donor who loves that concept of the program and he's given significantly in order to make sure he's matching every dollar that those kids save while they're down there. So oh, wow. it's been extraordinary. He basically said, look, I love the fact that you have those kids leave with thousands in their pocket so that they've got first and last month's rent and all the rest. He's all, but maybe you haven't noticed how much rent is in Southern California now. He's like, so I really think they should be leaving with, you know, 10,000 or more if they're really going to be successful on their own. Yeah. So if, if they're down there for, you know, a year, year and a half while they're getting all that situated, that's pretty easy for them to do in terms of what they save and what his donations are helping to match. So it's just a tremendous uh, avenue of support for our kids. So those kids, I mean, they're coming in at 13 high school age. So there's still a, 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 a curriculum of education they have to do. Um, and plus, then you have some trade training they do after the regular school education? Absolutely. No, our, uh, our kids have a hard time finding any free time at all. So they, <laughs> that's all kind of getting uh, to. which is probably a good thing. You know, we've all heard the thing. Idle times, the devil's playground. So we, we tend to try and fill it. Um, we have an on grounds public high school. So we're very lucky with that. So they've got their regular school day. Um, they can have some work experience tied in, but then we've got the variety of vocational things that they can do on top of that. Uh, the kids that would like it can also have paid work while they're in the regular treatment program, both on or off the campus. Um, they've got a whole host of, of counseling, individual, group, family-related things, trying to work at some of the issues that, that got them here while we're building up all the skill base. Um, and, and then we, we've got a, 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 you've been on the campus, but we've got a beautiful facility with lots of recreational options for them because at the end of the day, they're teenage boys and they've got to burn off some steam in the good old fashioned, sweat it out kind of way. And, and we bring all that together along with work we do with the families in preparing them for transition to, to try and get them home to be as successful as they can possibly be. Do the students, um, 
um, is there a designated amount of time that they have to be at the school if they if they uh, if they enroll in the school or they are brought into the school? Do they have to be there a certain amount of time, or or do you guys evaluate the uh, the student and, and kind of go, you know what, he's you know this 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 guy or this girl is ready to go back out? It's it's funny. That's one of the things that's probably evolved the most historically. So prior to when Stephen McQueen was a student here, and even to some degree at that time, kids that would come would generally come until they finished high school. Um, so it was, you know, determined by virtue of how much time that would take. Um, program length has shortened over the years. Uh, the the real goal from the from the system and in general is. Uh, we want to get them back home into their families, into their community as much as possible if they have them. Um, so generally, um, program length is determined mostly by progress in, in what they're doing along the way. Um, the judges like to have the kids back in front of them in six months to see, and a good, a good majority of them will go home at that six-month mark, um, especially because the system over the last five to 10 years has really put a lot of emphasis into continued work with them when they go home. So I would generally tell you six months isn't nearly long enough if we just finished and said goodbye and good luck. But we have, like I say, a, a team of folks that follow them back into their home communities to make sure that the kinds of things they were practicing, the skills, the 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 things they were working on in terms of better decision making, that we continue to, to support them doing that in their home communities when they leave. So, I mean, so for somebody like myself that really doesn't know too much of the inner workings of the school, obviously, um, the, the child comes to the school by premise of the courts. Can the, can the parents bring a school a, a child to the school and and say listen i need help with this child or or is it primarily through the 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 virtue of the courts yeah that's where it's evolved a lot over time too so you know back in in mcqueen's days it was it was often much more at the hands of parents these days we've morphed into a partnership with the the public system so it's the the dependency or the juvenile justice court that is generally making referrals uh, for for kids that they know can really benefit from what we do. And we do uh -huh. that with, oh, probably about 12 or 13 counties up and down the state. Um, so the big driver, LA County is obviously the biggest population center. So they're our biggest partner. But uh, generally, you know, the, the four counties around us, LA, Orange, San Bernardino, and Riverside, and then the Bay Area counties account for probably 85 to 90% of our referrals. Chris, so what, what is the best, uh, how is it, how does the school sustain itself? I mean, how is the funding coming to the school is, is, are you guys just pure, purely based on donations? Um, are, are the counties providing uh, funding to the to the school to keep it alive and keep you guys all there and everything moving? So it's a combination. Um, we uh, were very fortunate to have uh, had a, a founder going way back who during the times when there wasn't it wasn't county supported the way it is now. Um, developed a program that literally um, has been supporting uh, growth and programs in the agency for nearly 100 years. So if you look behind me on that wall, that, yeah. that green Christmas wreath that's back there, um, that program started in 1923 as a craft project by our founder. Um, they, the board and she grew over time. They kind of figured out after World War II that that this could be a really positive way to to, to help provide support for the organization. Um, in our heyday, when when we had the most kids that we've ever had on the property, we made over fifty thousand of those a year and sent them worldwide. To, wow. to this day, we're still making between thirty and thirty-five thousand, um, and and those folks that that raises about two million dollars a year in funds for the for the school. But the bigger part is 
what we've seen over a long period of time is that people who have bought the wreath for you know 10, 15, 20 years, uh, many times uh, have grown to know what the program does so much that they've they've remembered us in estate planning. And those kinds of gifts are are the other portion of how we self-support. So we self-support maybe oh on by plan, we self-support about 20% of our annual budget every year. And then depending upon what's going on in the world, times like now with the pandemic, we've been supporting quite a lot more because uh, the pandemic shut down county courthouses, it shut down juvenile halls in many ways. So the, the typical sources of, of where revenue would come from slowed. So that's when things like the car show, which has become a, a huge form of support and you know, the, the folks that have donated historically and that wreath program have been huge. The, the other area that, that's been a factor is, if you remember those old days in, in Chino and you talked about that 71 freeway, we used to own uh, quite a bit of property on the other side of that 71 freeway. And when it was just a two lane road and, and barely everybody, barely anybody ever used it, we would take tractors over and farm our land over there and, and no big deal. When, it, when it's grown the way it is now, obviously that wasn't sustainable. So that land got sold, has kind of gone into an endowment and you know, donations and the growth on that endowment are really how we, we add in things like that transitional housing and like that culinary center that we've done. Wow. Um, so I'm sure that if there's folks out there that are listening to this and, and, and want to learn a little bit more possibly about purchasing, uh, the wreath or, or donating to, to the, to the school, what's the best way for them to do it? Easiest way is on the website, you know, it's just www.boysrepublic.org. Um, there are links there for, uh, for the wreath program, for donations, for uh, getting getting folks sort of connected to the car show registration website, um, we even expanded because of that culinary program. And this year, we we had uh, mail order uh, sort of Christmas holiday cakes that were being you know sold off the website this year. So um, that's the easiest way. And um, and like I say, you can learn a little bit there. And then there's connections on that to to all the key people in the organization, they could, they could email me directly if they had a question at that point. Okay. So that, so everybody that's uh boysrepublic.org, www.boysrepublic.org to find out as much as you can about this, this wonderful uh, organization. Okay. Now let's talk about some of the good stuff. Let's talk about um, what was it? 1946 Steve McQueen arrived at the school. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and and again, I'm sure he was a, a knucklehead wayward kid at the time. Oh, I'm gonna jump on it. No, absolutely. He, he <laughs> it's been chronicled in, in many books about him. Uh, the, the issues that he had, he bounced around between uh, both parents and they sort of said, okay, we've had enough. And, you know, it, it was this an amazing moment of serendipity that he got here because I mean if if you're a McQueen fan and you've watched his movies you can see the part of him in a lot of those roles that got himself in this program I mean we, <laughs> we like that rebellious part of him we like you know that that guy that sort of you know goes up against the system when I watch The Great Escape and I see the sorts of things they did in that in that prisoner camp and and the way he would you know the way they'd sort of distract guards and whatnot i'm like okay there are elements of what he's brought to this movie of how he probably behaved in the cottage when he was in the program back in 46 so uh, but you know the the great thing about it was i think in in what i've read about uh the way he approached acting the way he approached uh his racing career uh, I, I think he he definitely grabbed elements of that nothing without labor ethic from Boys Republic. I think he 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 put himself completely into the things he was passionate about. And obviously, we didn't take the rascal completely out of Steve McQueen. There was plenty of that 
you know, as he went along. But um, the the nice thing that I've heard, I never had the good fortune of meeting him. My predecessor uh, got to, to spend time with him when he would come back and he would visit and spend time with the kids. Um, but Chad McQueen's oft quoted as saying, you know, his dad used to tell him, you know, you know, that place saved my life. And uh, we, you know, we feel wonderfully about that. That's generally um, our heart's work for all the kids that come through. And for all the McQueen fans out there, you know, we're glad we had any part of getting him, you know, onto a path that turned into the, you know, the career that he ended up having. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can only imagine, I mean, how the Boys Republic, how the facility uh, must have resonated in him for him to be uh, so attached later on in life to the school and and always wanting to be part of the school and and, and the school too moving forward I mean um, in acknowledging who he is and what he's what you know and the fact that he came from the school and 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 have you guys have all embraced you know the cars and in the motorcycles and, and all things that are Steve McQueen, which are which is you know wonderful. Um, were you at already there when the show started? Are you were you part of the original infancy of the show? Yes, yes. The it's interesting. The those first few years uh, look nothing like they do now. Um, <laughs> Basically, there was a, a member of the, the Porsche 356 Club in Southern California that walked into Boys Republic, knew about us, knew about the McQueen connection, and pitched um, the idea of the show. Um, we were receptive, and uh, the, the current co-chair of the show, Ron Harris, was the, um, the, the president of the 356 Club that year. And... Um, had a, a sort of a, a mild relationship with Chad McQueen out in the desert, pitched the whole idea, and, and the family had always continued to be supportive. Um, you know, as an aside, you know, when, when Steve was at his absolute highest popularity, uh, he would write into his contracts in Hollywood that whatever else he was getting paid, he wanted 150 pairs of Levi's, he wanted 150 pairs of Converse tennis shoes, and, and you know, 150 toothbrushes. People would be like, "What is this all about?" Well, he was. That was all coming to Boys Republic, and Chad has been exactly the same way. We all of a sudden we'd come around, and there'd be a delivery on property, or there'd be some sort of a donation nobody knew anything about. And what we'd come to learn is that, you know, someone asked Chad to do something somewhere and his price tag was, you know, you don't need to pay me, but I want you to do this for Boys Republic. So I think Hi. that kind of energy, he, he loved the idea of the show. Um, we loved, you know, that, that we were going to um, be able to bring uh, even more attention to the relationship. So it, it morphed, like I say, those first two or three years um, it was pretty small, you know, just it was a nice little car show run by the, the Porsche Club. And then um, it was really uh, one of our, our current, uh, you know, major benefactors, his name is Peter Dunkel, who kind of came in and he's really been the visionary, you know, that's combined. We've got this, this trifecta of Ron, Chad and Peter. Peter brought the idea of linking the show to the movie themes every year bringing in the VIP dinner that our culinary students um, provide. And, and those things really sort of made the, the show unique relative to so many other car shows that exist in Southern California, because there's always a theme, always a, uh, you know, a component tied to the movies. You're wearing the one from last year, which was 50th anniversary of Le Mans. This year we're going back to um, on any Sunday, so it'll be very heavily, you know, motorcycle themed, um, and and they they decorate out the property and set up a variety of things that have to do with that year's theme. Uh, you know, the the two most interesting ones historically are probably when they did Great Escape and we built a, a reenacted 
prisoner of war camp on the property with <laughs> live reenactors, had a Sherman tank firing dummy shells, and, and a professional writer reenacting that jump. Um, oh my so, goodness. So that was pretty crazy. And then the Thomas Crown Affair year, um, we knowing that Steve had a passion for gliders, uh, we got permission from the city and the FAA and Caltrans to create a runway on our property. We are actually a legitimate airport for two days out of the year. And they, <laughs> there are gliders that are wench launched off the property that fly in circle and then land back on the property during the show. So oh it's nice goodness. to have 200 acres. So you've got room to, to do all of that. But those are the some of those unique theme related things that that folks get when they come out to the show that obviously are a little bit different than, you know, going to just a beautiful concourse in another city. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I, I can only imagine that the show has kind of morphed into this, into this kind of, I don't want to call it a monster, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's a big event now. And I mean, I remember 10 years ago, um, I've got posters, some of the old posters up here and um, of the show. And I mean, I mean, some years it's, I mean, last year it did seem a little bit smaller, I guess, because of the whole COVID thing. In 2020, there was no show, right? Yeah, 2020, we tried, uh, we hoped for June, then we postponed till the fall and right. had to cancel it, unfortunately. And, and you know, the I think, uh, so many people having been able to be vaccinated last year at least allowed us to, to get it going. But I think you're right. Um, we had grown um, in the 50th anniversary of Bullet. Um, we had over 15,000 people on the property. So um, we were definitely down from that last year because I think you still had a contingency of folks that are being careful. So sure, we, absolutely. we hope that that Omicron is long in the distance come June and uh, and folks will have little fear. Um, it's an outdoor event. So uh, folks are, you know, able to enjoy the, the property and even the, the VIP dinner is under a tent outdoors. So, so there's a lot of open air. It's a, it's definitely uh, for those that are a little anxious, you know, it's not like it's in a hotel convention, you know, center room or something like that. It, it's got a, a lot of opportunity to be a, a, a healthy, uh, you know, healthy show, healthy uh, activity for folks to go to. Is the, is the Saturday VIP, is it Saturday? I think it is Saturday night, the VIP dinner. Is that open, <coughs> is that open to the public as well as if they want to, to buy tickets to go to the, uh, the VIP dinner? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, um, and, and it's, it's one of the really, you know, most heartwarming parts of the show. So, I mean, folks have been to lots of dinners, lots of gala events, things like that. But um, what makes ours unique is besides all of the, the McQueen related things that are going on in the evening, um, our, our culinary students are the ones that prepare the meal and serve the meal, which you probably remember last year we weren't able to do that because of COVID, yeah. so it was a little bit off. But it it it's just a nice way, right front and center, for folks to remember. Um, besides loving the cars, what they're there and what they're actually supporting, they get to see, um, you know, the pride in the kids' faces at the enjoyment of it. So I know that is wide open to the public, and it. Um, it's got the beauty of because it's outdoor on a in a huge area we created for it. It can grow as large as it as it needs to. So there's really no keeping anybody away. Of course, you know it. It's got you know all the sponsors and and all the McQueen family and and everybody from the committee that come. But um, no, usually there's there's several hundred um, guests that come in each year that that aren't tied to any of those parts of the program. And and last year. Uh, they added in because we tend to get uh, quite a few people that are coming in from overseas and and making a long journey out. Um, yeah. The committee wanted to, to give folks that are here for the weekend to give them an entire weekend. So uh, there was a sort of kickoff party on Friday night last year as well, which um, had a live musician who was amazing um, and then food and drink there. Um, and I was shocked 
with the quality of the musician that the committee kept the price at only $25 to come to that this year, because literally the, the guy who comes on out um, has been a Bellagio performer um, in Vegas. <laughs> so, so you couldn't see him for 25 bucks, let alone get uh, all the food and drink associated with the night. So it's a great, super affordable date for anybody that wants to hit on that side of the, the weekend as well. And Chris, and, and in the, uh, in the area close to the to the campus there are there for people that are coming from out of town or or or, or like you say want to make a weekend out of it are there are there hotels and and lodging available uh yeah. there locally yes fortunately uh that part we, we won't be handing out tents to people that come on out we've got <laughs> the, the city has grown up um there's actually two brand new hotels that have come in in the last two years um we've got a partnership with um the heirs that gives everybody tied to the show a discount on their rate but no literally within a mile and a half of campus you've got five different properties so um it's grown to be able to support the out-of-town crowd oh good deal good deal so good so then why don't you kind of kind of let everybody kind of know on that Sunday morning when they come to the show, how, what they can expect, what kind of, what kind of, uh, what things will they see other than just like the cars and, and, you know, cause you've got every, you're going to have, which you typically always happens, tons of Mustangs, tons of bullets, tons of Porsches. Um, and then, and then you'll have uh, a ton of, you know, uh, kind of off-beaty motorcycles from the 60s and 70s that kind of pop in every once in a while. But there's uh, other other displays that go on. No, there definitely are. Uh, because of McQueen's racing history, um, a lot of times there really are some, some high-end um, uh, race uh, cars that come on out that, that uh, are reflective of, you know, kind of the Le Mans uh, movie mm -hmm. that was made. Um, the, the unique things that'll be around, um, last year, uh, we had a committee member bring out a, a huge contingent of folks from the drag, um, racing community and, um, the, the top fuel and funny car had some of those things firing off, which was, uh, pretty amazing. We've had a group that comes on out, um, for many years, um, that bring out all sorts of historical, um, engines and uh, things that are just fascinating for our folks that are more mechanically inclined um, and and folks really enjoy that there's there's vendors all over there's food all over so you've got the 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 everything you need is kind of happening um this year the gliders will be back as well so there will be folks kind of taking the tour um, we are if we replicate what we did the first time we did on any Sunday, then there were professional uh, motocross guys out doing jumps out on the hills uh, behind um, the area. And I'll never forget the crazy picture that got submitted to us from someone that literally had the jumper and the glider right in the same frame with each other, looking like they were right next to each other, even though <laughs> obviously they were probably separated by several hundred feet. Uh, right. So, no, there's literally something for everybody. There's all kinds of McQueen merchandise um, that'll be there. So um, it, it's really, you know, uh, a, a great family day, great car lovers day. Or if you've just got that that philanthropic side and, and you want to support something that's good for at-risk kids, boys and girls, uh, we've got all of that going on as well. And, and I know that, I mean, and on top of that, I mean, it is also kind of a kind of a show that's a little bit of the the who's who in the car industry or in the car world because you'll have you know celebrity people show up you'll have drive you know former race car drivers showing up i mean i know i've been there and i've seen you know hurley haywood and i've seen uh vic elford there signing you know uh posters and what have you so i mean and then and then you'll see you know you know prominent auto auto enthusiast figures kind of on the campus walking around you know at the show so um it, it is it is it is 
it is much more than just going to a Sunday cars and coffee for everybody out there. It, it is very much more. It's uh, it makes an impression for everybody that goes out there. So anyway, well, Chris, I thank you so much for, for spending this time. Thank you for sharing all this information uh, about the, about the, uh, the school, the, uh, the boys Republic. And, uh, and, and I really do feel that a lot of people have been able to learn, at least I know I have learned more on about what the boys Republic does its history and about this show. And I know, I know that the proceeds for this show all go to support the boys Republic. So it's really important that, that we kind of support, you know, if you're a car person to support this again, um, tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's still able to go to the boysrepublic.org website to learn about the Steve McQueen show, but isn't there a Steve McQueen website as well? There is. Yeah. Steve McQueen And that literally locks you into everything. That's just about the show um, and can connect you to the car show rally that's going on in April as well. So uh, that's and true, the rally. It's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a nice, um, there's a lot in there that will show you some of the historical uh, moments from previous year's shows. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, of course, <laughs> there's like like Chris mentioned, there is a a rally uh, in April where I guess it's a couple of days, and you know, car enthusiasts all get together and they go they go do a, a drive together, and and it's all in support of the uh, of the show and of the school and uh, and and the whole and the whole premise of all things kind of Steve McQueen. So, um. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. This was great. It was fun. Um, any last parting words? Anything you want to suggest people uh, to do out there? Uh, Ed, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to tell people a little bit about the program. Um, we, we'd love this to, to be the invitation to folks who've never seen it to come on out. It is truly a a pretty special day. Um, like I say, if, if you're just a car nut, you're going to love it. Um, but uh, if you got that, that sort of humanitarian side in you as well, uh, it's truly a, a wonderful endeavor that really does help uh, some needy boys and girls out there. So we thank anybody who takes the time to come on out and see us. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it's, and again, we can't say it enough. It's for a great cause. So, all right, Chris, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later and thank you for being on. Absolutely. You take care. Thank you. Thank you.